All right, good morning. How are you guys? Everybody awake? Low batteries. I get that. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's, I'm excited for this series. It's going to be a good series. I think that regardless of where you're at uh, in life, I think that we all get tired. Uh, we all feel drained. Uh, and there's times when we all just want to sleep. Uh, and I, I, we, my wife and I talk about this all the time. Uh, as kids, the worst thing in the world is when you had to take a nap. And as an adult, I feel like I'm just trying to make it between naps. It's like, when can I schedule another nap in? I got to figure this out. So we're in this series um, called Low Battery. And it really, I mean, you guys saw the video you heard from Pastor Chris. I won't spend a ton of time. But we're looking at this idea of how to manage our time, how to manage our energy, how to manage the, the life that we have so we don't walk around feeling empty, drained, exhausted, uh, like we have nothing left to give. Uh, and I'm excited for that especially as we go into summer. Um, and uh, today, uh, we're, we're going to be talking about a few different things over the next four weeks. Today, we're talking about this idea of sovereignty. Um, and there's a couple aspects to sovereignty, but I kind of want to give you this definition before we start, uh, and then we'll talk about it throughout the morning. But this idea of sovereignty is the overarching thing that you submit to in order to do what you need to do when you don't feel like it. Uh, so um, in this story we're going to look at today, sovereignty, we're talking about sp spiritually this aspect of who God is. And we're going to talk about that a lot today. Uh, shocker, I know at church we're going to talk about that. So, uh, But other uh, ideas of sovereignty are like core values, beliefs, uh, principles, schedules, goals. Some families I know have made like family mission statements. Uh, and, and there's these things that they say, this is who we're going to be. This is what we're going to do regardless of whatever is happening in life. This is what we're going to come back to so that we know that we're always doing the right things. We're prioritizing the right things. This idea of sovereignty is something we're going to be looking at today. Um, and like Pastor Chris uh, talked about, this idea of our cell phones obviously is something that we're all very aware of. Uh, how many of you guys know, just off the top of your head, what percentage your battery life is at right now? Really? Wow. That's sad. Mine's at 29. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I was at an Angels game a couple weeks ago, and I don't know if you guys have been to Angels Stadium. You, you, there's this whole, like, ground area where you're walking around inside the stadium before you get out to the seats. And, like, every two gates, they have cell phone charging stations, uh, these giant tables with probably, like, 20 different chargers around it. And I was like, man, that's so insane. Like, you pay this money to come to an Angels game, and then you're going to go in. Because it's not like cell phones recharge that fast, right? So you pay this money, and it's like, oh, I'm going to go hang out and uh, charge my cell phone for a little bit. But they have this everywhere. Last night we were at this um, restaurant uh, for dinner uh, on the peninsula, this place called Wild Taco. It's great if you guys need Mexican food. Um, and it was packed, and there was this lady walking around with her phone and her charger with this look of terror, and she literally, like, went up to the guy behind the counter and was like, can you guys plug my phone in and charge it? I was like, man, what is going on in your life that's so critical that you, your phone has to, I mean, you're with people. Uh, there's no way that emergency could happen that you would need your phone for. Um, there is one thing I realized that we, we absolutely require our phones for, and that's now in this generation because uh, you don't memorize anybody's phone numbers. And, I mean, I grew up remembering everybody's phone, all my friends, I had them memorized. And, uh, and so when you don't have a phone with you, all of a sudden, anyway, that's a, that's a side note. Um, there, uh, probably about a year and a half ago, um, we were hanging out, and you guys know we've got two kids. Uh, Mason's going to be six this week, uh, and so we're excited about that. It was probably about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, we're hanging out, and, um, and he's always loved 
phones, iPads, everything he can get his hand on since he was like really young. He's just uh, always been drawn to that. Our other child, Arlo, has never been interested in that. Until recently, he was always very, uh, never worked. Uh, and so with our first one, he was always wanted, always wanted, always wanted it. And so a lot of times that we would let him play with our phones or with an iPad or whatever it would be. And then eventually what would happen is that the, the, the phone would die. Uh, and then as a good parent, what happens sometimes is if you don't want them to play with your phone, you just say that your phone is dead, uh, which is a lie. But, you know, it's, it's a, I think it's an okay lie. Um, and, uh, but, I mean, this was a language that he just became incredibly familiar with. Uh, you know, can I play with the phone? No, it's dead. Can I play with the iPad? No, it's dead. Or he's playing on it and it shuts off. It's like, oh, the phone died. Oh, I can't believe it's dead. Whatever it might be. Language he became really familiar with. So about two years ago, uh, we had this crazy storm in Costa Mesa. And we don't usually have very many storms. You guys know this area. And there was like lightning and all kinds of stuff and a lot of wind. And we were all hanging out in our living room. It was probably like six or seven at night. And the power went out in our neighborhood. And Mason, it was pitch black in our living room. And Mason just said, did our house just die? <laughs> Like, it was just, like, the most comedically perfect moment. It was, like, three seconds of silence in the dark. Did our house just die? <laughs> and we all just started laughing, and then he, his feelings were hurt because he thought we were laughing at him. And so, uh, he is hilarious and so sensitive. And so whenever you laugh at something he says, he always takes it personal. It's like, no, buddy, like, you're hilarious. Anyways. But we are all very aware of when and where we will be able to charge or recharge our phone. How many of you guys have a car charger? How many of you guys have a charger by your bed? How many of you guys have a charger somewhere else in your house, like a living room area charger, uh, desk, char like a charger at work? How many of you guys have like an emergency charger stashed like in a bag just in case? How many of you guys have all of the above? So we're all, I mean, we're very, very aware, and it's silly, and we can laugh about it, but the reality is, I mean, it's crazy how dependent we are and how aware we are of the battery life. Uh, I, every single day, I'm like, oh, man, my battery's going quick. I'm going to go to low battery mode on my phone, and there's one of those. If you don't know, it will help you. Uh, and so we're super aware of, of the, the, the battery that's left, the life that's left on our phones, but I would be curious to know how many of us could list off one way, one time, one place we know coming up that we will be able to recharge. One time that we know that something is coming, that this will fill me up. This will give me life. I've been working hard. I know that this experience, this hangout, this trip, this vacation, this whatever it is, most of us, I'd be willing to bet, probably don't have something like that scheduled like we do when we know where our, our phone is going to be able to recharge. This reality is that we feel like we can go and we can go and we can go, but we never really keep tabs on our own energy, our own life. And we keep giving and giving and giving and working and working and working and trying and striving and struggling, and we end up exhausted. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the things that drain us, that drain our time, our energy, but we're also going to be talking about some of the things that help us combat this, these feelings. We're going to be talking about some of the things that help us fight against this, that, that are able to help us conserve our energy, but also that are able to help us recharge when we do feel exhausted. Most of us tell ourselves, uh, when I have my day off, I'll get some rest. How many of you guys tell yourself that every week? And then the weekend comes and goes, and you're like, what happened? I didn't get any rest. I did so much stuff this weekend. Uh, when I go on that vacation, I'll be able to rest. Um, I can tell you for sure, as somebody that's been on vacation for the last seven days, that's not true. 
Just because you go on vacation doesn't mean you're going to be able to rest. Vacation guarantees rest just like a new pair of Nikes guarantees you'll lose weight. Uh, And I've bought a lot of Nikes. Uh, I mean, just because you go on vacation, just because you have a weekend, just because you have a day off, like that does not equal rest. That does not equal you will be recharged, refilled. That does not mean that emotionally you will find rest. All these things that drain you just because you have a couple hours where you don't have to clock in or a couple hours where you get a sitter or any of those types of things, that doesn't equal rest. Rest is something that intentionally we have to work towards, recharging, refilling. This is something we have to do intentionally. But we all fall into this trap of, you know, when this happens, I'll be able to rest. Once I get to this month, once I get past the holidays, you hear this all the time at Thanksgiving and Christmas. Just let me get past the holidays and everything will calm down. Um, uh, Just let me uh, get, once school ends, once school gets out and then school gets out, you're like, I can't wait till school gets back in. Uh, I've, this is the first summer that we have a kid that's out of school for summer, and it's been a week. I'm going to move on. Uh, after I finish this project, I'll be able to recharge. And, and there is some truth to some of those statements. There is some truth. You do have these, these things that take a ton of time, a ton of energy. But, but just because that's done doesn't mean you're going to have this massive amount of time because what's going to happen? You're going to do something else. There will be another project. There will be another season. There will be another work day. There will be another whatever it might be. So what if instead of, uh, or, or I'm sorry, when we're trying to be and do and have it all, we feel drained and worn out. When we try to get it all, we're left, ultimately, we're left with nothing left to give. When we try to do everything, we usually end up postponing the things that most recharge us. When you say yes to everything, when you say yes to the people, to the work projects, to the, the fun things, the good things, the bad things, the things that always get pushed to the side are the things that are going to most recharge you. In almost every situation, the things that you need to stay energized, filled, have life, have time, have patience, uh, all of these things, those are the things that fall off because you're, you're committed to saying yes to everybody else. And so who are you going to let down? Yourself. Like, okay, I'll take the hit on this one and that one and the next one. So this is the way that we work, but there's a part of us that believes that this has to be the best way because everybody else does the same thing. Everybody else is moving at the same pace. They're working the same hours. They're trying just as hard or harder. They're cramming more hours into a day than they've ever been able to. I remember, you know, back when cell phones were just this great idea, uh, you know, it was this idea that, man, we'll have so much extra time if we can just talk on the phone while we're en route you know, if I can, if I don't have to print out my directions from MapQuest, like, can you imagine how many trees I'll say? I mean, this idea of technology of how much freedom it was going to give us, but ultimately, like, we just filled that time up with other things. We didn't end up with more time, more rest, more brain space. We filled it up with other things. This morning, I spent an hour trying to get a printer to work, you know, and and we could just write it down with a pen and a paper, but we're trying to get that printer to work because it should work. And so there's this thing where technology, we kind of fall into this, this trap of thinking like, oh, it will become easier. It will, I'll have more time when this is done, when this gets taken off my plate, but we always just end up filling that time with other things. So what if instead of just trying harder, we try differently? What if instead of working harder, we just work differently? Uh, old idea of don't work harder, work smarter. There's this idea of what if there's a different way of approaching it than what everybody else is doing? What if we, what if we do things differently? That's what we're going to look at today and over the next few weeks. 
And it, oftentimes I think Christians talk about the idea of following Jesus like it's some sort of consolation prize of, yeah, everything sucks now, but we'll go to heaven when we die. And it's this idea of like, just do what you can to get through life now because in the future, you'll get heaven. And it's this, it's this really twisted view of just kind of like settling with whatever this is because there's something coming down the road. And it doesn't, I believe that there's something good coming down the road, but I, I don't think that what Jesus talks about is this idea of just settling for what is now. Jesus talked about how the kingdom of heaven really starts to break into our lives now, how we can experience aspects of heaven and hope and life now. We don't have to wait until it's over. And he never talked about this idea of just bide your time because one day you'll get to go to heaven. So just keep your head down. Don't worry about anybody else. Just do your own thing. He talks about life day to day, moment by moment. In John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy your battery life. It doesn't say that. That's, uh, then he says, I have come that they may have life and that they could have life to the full. And that doesn't mean that you're going to have everything that you want, but that means that there's, there's something about who Jesus is and the way that he's calling us to live our lives that we can experience life to the full, like a, a full sense of belonging, a full sense of purpose, a full sense of hope, a full sense of community, these are the things that we can experience a full sense of. That's what Jesus has said that he's able to, to give us. But so often we don't experience that. And I think a lot of times it's because we, we kind of go off track on this idea of sovereignty, of what helps us make our final decisions. We believe that following Jesus actually makes life better, and it makes us better at life. Following Jesus isn't just this hard thing where you follow these rules and you have to give up a bunch of stuff. We believe that when you follow Jesus, it actually makes life better. This was my experience when I came back to Jesus when I was 21 years old. I had become the worst version of myself that I had ever known. And I came back to Christianity. I was raised in the church. My dad was a pastor. I came back to it. And I literally I said these words out loud in my car in a Starbucks parking lot. I said, I don't know what I believe but I know that I'm better with you than I am without you. And that's why I came back to Christianity. Completely selfish, but it was because I knew that I was better when I tried to live the way that Jesus modeled for us and Jesus called us to live. And so I believe that that's true. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I really believe that wherever you're at in your spiritual walk, I believe that if you try and live the way that Jesus called us to live, that your life will be better. And not in some sort of you're going to get checks in the mail type of way, not, not some sort of magical way, just some sort of like just the reality of your relationships, the way you show up at work, the way you show up at home after work. I believe that it changes these things. Has anybody experienced that? Anybody want to testify? I don't know where that came from. So uh, we are talking about this idea. We're going to look at a story today, a uh, story of Daniel. Some of you guys may know Daniel. You guys all know the story of Noah and the, yes, Jonah and the, Daniel and the lion's den. That's not the story we're talking about, though. We're talking about a different Daniel story. Same Daniel, different story. The book of Daniel, chapter 1. And... Uh, just a little bit of context, the, the kingdom of Babylon, the King Nebuchadnezzar is the king at this moment, is one of the most powerful kingdoms. And when they would come into other kingdoms, other nations, they would come in and they would conquer these other nations. 
and they would kill and destroy and do all these kinds of things um, that conquerors do. Uh, and then they would uh, take the smartest, the brightest, um, the, the wisest, the most knowledgeable and experienced young men, and they would take them back to Babylon, and they would just train them for three years. And they did that for a few different reasons. Uh, it gives the Babylonian government this unending supply of capable people. It cripples the conquered nation because you're taking the best people out of that nation, the future leaders out of that nation. Uh, and then it also ensures that this conquered nation won't fight back because so many of their people now live in this kingdom of Babylon. And so they would come in and they would, they would destroy this nation. They would conquer. They would take stuff. They would do whatever they would want. And then on top of all of that, they would take their future leaders, all of the people that they would look to for their future. They would take them and bring them back to Babylon. And this is what's happening in the book of Daniel in chapter 1. Babylon conquers Judah. The king takes a bunch of sacred relics. King Nebuchadnezzar takes a bunch of the sacred relics from Israel's temple, and he brings them back to his temple. And then he takes a bunch of the, the best and brightest uh, young men, and he brings them back to Babylon. And he would rename them. The king Nebuchadnezzar would always rename them to kind of fully strip away all the sense of who they were, the sense of their individuality, the sense of their home, of their family, of their tribe, of the way that they were supposed to live, the way that they knew how to live. He would do everything, train them, reteach them, all this kind of stuff, and then he would just rename them to take every last thing away from them. So in this story, uh, Daniel was renamed Belteshazzar, Hananiah was renamed Shadrach, Mishael was uh, renamed Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. And I'm exhausted just from making sure I say those right. Uh, but you guys are probably familiar with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. We're not talking about that story either. So it's good. You guys know so much about Daniel. Uh, so this all happens before that. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he takes them, he takes so many people, and he educates them and he indoctrinates them in all things of the Babylonian empire. For three years, he, it says that in the, in the book of Daniel and in, in history books, they talk about this. He feeds them out of his own personal kitchen, meat and wine, and then he teaches them Babylonian literature and, and history, and he kind of indoctrinates. I mean, it doesn't sound like the, a real bad life uh, as far as being a, a conquered nation, a conquered person. But this new culture that they're living in has a new way of doing things, a new way of eating, a new way of drinking, a new way of worshiping, of structuring their time, ordering their priorities. There's a new everything, and he wants to strip everything about who they are as children of God and the nation of God. He wants to strip all of that away and give them this new kind of way of living. It was obviously very different than what they were used to in Judah. It, you know, the, the many gods of the Babylonian empire versus the one true God of the Jewish people. Um, so he, he's taken everything away from them. There's tremendous pressure to fit in, to perform, and to live up to the standard. After three years, they're all essentially paraded before King Nebuchadnezzar, and they're tested. So there's all this pressure to fit in, to belong. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, was where we're going to start off. And, and before this, they're given this new diet where they're going to eat from the king's kitchen, meat and wine from the king's kitchen, which, again, it doesn't sound like that terrible of a thing. But the reality is that this meat and wine almost always was coming from the temple of one of the Babylonian gods, Marduk. And so for the Jewish people, they were not allowed to eat meat that was offered up to idols. 
They were not allowed to partake in anything that was offered up to another god. And so uh, Daniel has this issue with this, obviously. He doesn't want to give up this thing that he believes, this, this sovereignty, this, this guiding principle for him. It says, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. In short, Daniel says no, which is kind of crazy because nobody said no. I mean, it's not even that bad of a, a command, um, but even if it was that bad of a thing, you're in captivity. Your nation has been conquered. You are enslaved by this new kingdom. And so Daniel comes up and he, and he basically says no. But it makes sense to us. We're, we're social creatures, humans. Our, our human natural inclination is to ensure our own safety, to ensure our own survival by just kind of going with the flow. Um, there's this thing that I've been reading about. Seth Godin kind of put a name to it called the lizard brain. I don't know if you guys have heard of this idea. Uh, the lizard brain is technically, scientifically, it's known as the amygdala. Uh, and it's this part of the human brain that every animal has. Um, humans have other parts also. Most humans have other parts of their brain. Uh, but this, this lizard brain is this thing that is most responsible for fear, if you wanted to figure out one word to describe this, the amygdala, it's, it's what causes you to want to stay alive. It's what causes you to want to stay safe. It's what causes you to want to be able to fit in, to blend in, to not make a stink, to not whatever it might be. This week, we were in Palm Springs, and there was lizards everywhere. And as soon as a lizard saw you, it took off running. I mean, it just like took off running. This thing that is inside of all of us is this, this piece that it causes us to want to fit in. We don't want to no risk. We don't want to be uh, seen as a, a problem. We want to keep ourselves safe. We want to belong. We want to fit in. We want to blend. This is something that everybody deals with. And this reality is something that Daniel would have been dealing with in this moment also. The worst thing that any of us can do would be to stand out. Stephen Pressfield in the, the War of Art, he says, stop. Don't do it. It's risky. Do it how others do it, because that's what we know is already accepted behavior. Innovation and unorthodoxy is a crazy idea. And he's talking about this idea of the lizard brain. He's saying this is, this is how our natural human personality is wired to, the, to, you know what? It's not worth it. It's not worth the risk. What if it doesn't pay off? What if it doesn't go the way I think it'll go? And we're all wired this way, and Daniel's wired this way, but still he has the ability to stand up in the midst of this lizard brain screaming at Daniel, saying, don't stick out. Just go along with the flow. You are alive. Be grateful for that. Just, just do your best to fit in. He stands up and he says, no, I don't want to eat these unacceptable foods. This word survival kind of sounds extreme, but we've already talked about this idea that we all kind of have this thing that we tell ourselves of, I just need to survive this week. I, what can I do just to get through Christmas? If I can just get through this pay period. <laughs> we, we use these same words, and we might not be fighting for our lives, but this reality of, of the way that we're wired, we just want to make it. When we're tired, when you're exhausted, drained, worn out, whatever it might be, you just want to make, if I can just get through this season, this project, then whatever. We're all wired this way. The, the survival word seems extreme, but we're all wired this way. 
If you want to make it in this industry, you have to blank. If you want your kids to succeed, you have to blank. If you want to be a good mom or a dad, you have to blank. We all kind of create these statements where we feel like we have to just do these things, fit in this way to make it. So there's a primal impulse, and sometimes it can be to our advantage, uh, keeping us alive is a good thing. Uh, we saw a possum last night, uh, and one of our friends who's in town visiting lost her mind. Uh, and that was the lizard brain. Uh, and the, the, what's that? It was not in the sports box. That's terrifying. This one was very far from us. There was really no reason to be afraid. Uh, but the lizard brain kicks in. So there's an advantage to this, this primal instinct, but there's also a disadvantage. You know, if all your friends decide, hey, we're going to do juice cleanses and we're going to start exercising and it's like, I don't want to stick out. So, that, I mean, that would be like a good time to just blend in and kind of go along with everybody. But there's disadvantages, like the way that our society, the way that our culture lives and operates and the values that our culture has. There's disadvantages. Everybody works 60, 70-hour work weeks. People just eat fast food because they don't have the time to eat at home or to make a meal. People are lonely. Everybody is overspending what they have. They're using credit cards and debt. Everybody, everybody deals with porn. Everybody deals with addictions. I'm not, I mean, I'm not that weird. I don't stick out. Everybody's first marriage goes bad. It's, it's okay. I mean, we, we live in this culture that... It doesn't necessarily say that it's okay, but because it's become, these aspects of our lives have become so commonplace that we just feel like we can just fit in. We just feel like, I'll just keep my head down. I don't want to do things differently. I'll just go along with society. But is what's happening in the world around us, is that who we want to become? Is that what we want to experience in our lives? And logic would say that if you do what everyone else is doing, that you're pretty likely to get the same results that everyone else is getting. But do you want what everybody else is getting? Like, that's the question. I was reading this week a few different studies. Um, money and work, no surprise, are the biggest causes of stress um, in every person. Money and work. And it increases every year. Um, and the stress level per generation jumps with each generation. So each generation increases. Or, I'm sorry, each year it increases inside the generation, but then from the millennials to Generation X, there was this massive jump. And so every generation that comes after it, the stress level just increases over money and work. And the Bible talks a lot about money and work, and it talks about it in different ways than what our culture says. There's a difference. Uh, divorce in America, there's one divorce every 36 seconds, which is crazy, 2,400 a day. Uh, anxiety has become the number one mental health issue in North America. One out of every three people in the adult population experiences anxiety and wellness issues. Uh, loneliness, one in five adults suffers from persistent loneliness. Social isolation and feelings of loneliness increase a person's chance of premature death by 14%. There's a lot of doctors that are actually saying that this is almost twice what the risk of obesity is in people's health risks. But this idea of, of incessant or what's the word? Persistent loneliness. Everybody feels lonely at some levels. But I don't say this to say that they're bad and we're good. I say this to say, like, do we want to just do things the way that everybody else is doing? Is it working? I don't know that it is. I don't want to be lonely. I don't want to have anxiety. I want my relationships to be healthy. I don't want to be stressed out about work and money and all these things. 
But instead of truly recharging, we oftentimes just settle for a quick boost. Survival is a pretty pathetic goal, and I think that God wants more than that for us. It goes back to that John 10.10 verse. This is what Daniel believes, that God says that there's a different way. So he says, no, I don't want to eat these foods. And then we pick it up in verse 9. It says, now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. He liked him. But he responded, the chief of staff said, I'm afraid that my lord the king who has ordered you eat this food and this wine, if, um, if you become pale and thin compared to the other youths who are already eating steak and red wine, if you become thin from just eating vegetables, uh, I'm afraid that the king will have me beheaded. He's like, I understand what you're saying. I hear you. I want to help you, but lizard brain. <laughs> I don't want to be. I don't want to be killed. I don't want to get in trouble because I'm allowing you to do something different. Daniel believed that the way God had called him to live, a different way than everybody else, was a better way. So Daniel says, test us, try it my way, try it the way that God has told the Israelite people to, to do this, to not eat uh, food that's been sacrificed to idols, let's, let's try it for 10 days, after 10 days, test us, see if we look different, see if we feel different, see if we are acting differently than everybody else, and if we are, then we'll, we'll eat the food that you want us to. But just try it, give us the chance. And so he did, after 10 days, he comes back and turns out it works. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all looked better and healthier than everybody else. They looked better from just the vegetables than everybody else did, which is so hard to believe. But they did. They looked better than all the other, the, the young men that were in this program. God gifted them beyond just the health. He gifted them with greater understanding and wisdom than all of the others over this 10 days as well. In verse 18, it says, when the training period ordered by the king was completed, which is three years, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them. And no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and the enchanters in his entire kingdom. And he uses that idea of magicians and enchanters because this god Marduk was this god of magic. And so this was the, the, what they based all of their information on, all their decisions on, was this god of magic and the magicians and enchanters. And so these, these four men that had eaten vegetables for three years, <laughs> they come and they are head and shoulders above everybody else health-wise, but also with wisdom and knowledge and everything that they they gave judgment on was far and above better than everybody else. Daniel believed that the way God had called him to live, a different way was a better way. It didn't make any sense. It's crazy to think that vegetables could make you that healthy or smart, unless you listen to your parents when you're growing up. But the, here's, the, here's the thing that I've, I've kind of come to learn. It's crazy to try and do everything because it will leave you drained and empty. We've already decided that. It's crazy to try and do everything. It's also crazy to say no to good things and to be willing to safeguard your energy. We think it's kind of crazy to say no to good things. And we think it's crazy. It's just like, well, I, don't, I mean, I'm not going to do that. And so ultimately the decision that we're left with is what kind of crazy do you want to be? Do you want to be the kind of crazy that thinks that you can do everything and be everything and go everywhere and have everything and work as hard as you possibly can and use 24 hours out of every single day and, and find life 
and life to the full, as Jesus says in John 10.10? Or do you want to be the kind of crazy that thinks, maybe if I say no to things, good things, fun things, maybe if I find some way to be balanced and healthy, I'll actually enjoy life more. Maybe if I say no to these good things, I'll actually have more peace, more hope, more energy, more life, more fullness. I'll be a nicer person to my family. So which kind of crazy do we want to be? Because they both are crazy. One is crazy to try and do everything, and one is crazy to say no to good things. So we have that choice. Most of us have a misplaced sense of sovereignty in our lives. It's this overarching thing that we submit to. Daniel had embraced this idea of who God was and what God had commanded him to do. This was his sovereignty. And for anybody that follows Jesus, we believe that God is sovereign. And so he said, I'm going, this is going to be how I make my decisions based on what God has told me to do. And so he did, and it was crazy. It didn't make any sense. And it was risky. And it ended up paying off in this crazy way. It goes on to say at the end of the story, it goes on to say that he was in the king's service for 66 years as his most trusted advisor with a few hiccups, the fiery furnace and the lion's den. There was a few other hiccups in that place, but 66 years. So he had this sense of sovereignty of this is the way I'm going to make my decisions. This is the way I'm going to live my life. This is how I'm going to choose what to do, when to do it. He had this sense of sovereignty, and this is something that we have to find also. If you haven't determined what's most important to you or what's sovereign to you, then everything appears equally important. So the story of Daniel, very clearly about this idea of his trust in who God was. I think that there's really practical aspects for us. And as we go into summer and the season where we're supposed to just miraculously be rested because it's summer now. It's 90 degrees. Obviously, I should be more rested. Uh, we have this, this opportunity to make intentional decisions to say, what is going to be this, the sovereign thing in my life that helps me make decisions? When we de- decide who or what is sovereign in our lives, we can begin to say no to the detractors. We can begin to say no to the things that drain us. The story of Daniel, God was a sovereign thing in his life. For South Hills, and I'm not going to, I just want to say this out loud, I'm not saying that God is not sovereign in any of these situations. There's just different levels of sovereignty, like we talked about with purpose and mission and values and diets and, and goals and structures. South Hills has a mission statement that helps guide us, that helps us know what decisions we want to make. Maybe you have a diet plan that you stuck to. My brother-in-law just did a juice fast, and it was a seven-day juice fast, and he did the first three days, and then he ate pizza, and then he did the next four days of the seven-day juice fast. I'm not sure that's how it works, but you know what? He did more days of juice fasting than I have, so I can't take it from him. But we all have these decisions, values, missions, kind of guiding principles of how we're going to make decisions, how we're going to spend time. And if you don't, then you will just let whatever's happening in life around you, whatever's happening at work, whatever's happening at home, whatever your extended family is doing, what, that will be the thing that makes the decisions for you. You'll end up doing everything. In decision-making, I read this this week. It was really helpful for me. It says, in decision-making, we tend to start with the things we don't know and work through to the things that we do know. 
But in actuality, we should always start with the things that we do know and use those to make decisions on the unknown. So we start with, well, I know that I've made a commitment that I'm not going to live my life this way anymore. So based off of that, should I do these things? Uh, I know that I've made a commitment that I'm going to be home to put my kids in bed every night. So based off of that, when should my work day end? Uh, we have all of these decisions, all these opportunities to make these commitments. And instead of just deciding whether or not we want to do things, we have to use a guide, this, this sovereign concept to manage our time. The ice cream truck is here. <laughs> There's something that's been super helpful for me. I'll leave this for you guys. And I actually meant to give you guys, uh, well, we'll put this up. Do you guys have the, the guide to self-care? If we can put that up. I don't know if it'll show up on these screens for you guys. Nope. Looks like a grid. <laughs> I can read it a little bit on this side. So this guide for self-care is something that's been helpful for me. And um, if you want it, let me know after service, and I'll give you a digital version of it. But basically, it talks about these rhythms of self-care. And this is something that we talk about, this idea of sovereignty, this idea of what is helping you make decisions. What do you know that you need? And then you can fill in the rest of your time with these different things. So it breaks it up into daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and yearly. Uh, and the categories are, start off with my favorite, rest and leisure. Uh, so rest and leisure, what does this look like for me on a daily basis? What does it look like for me on a weekly basis? A monthly, quarterly, yearly? So daily, maybe, it, maybe it's 15 minutes. I don't know. Maybe it's four hours. Depends on how big your family is probably. Uh, but weekly, monthly, quarterly, yearly, vacation time, weekends off, all these different types of things. What is rest and leisure, maximizing my days off, vacation, recharging, uh, physical care. So what, how often do I want to exercise daily, monthly? I mean, you can you fill it in for yourself. Uh, how often do I need to do these things? What do I want to do health-wise? Uh, solitude and silence, time for discernment, prayer, intercession, meditation, journaling, Bible study. What does that look like for me daily? What does that look like for me weekly? Do I want to do five minutes a day and then maybe once a week I'll spend an hour on this? What does that look for me maybe a year? Maybe I take a weekend away and I actually turn my phone off for a whole weekend, which would be terrifying, right? Can you imagine how much you would miss on Instagram over a weekend? Uh, community, creating space for quality relationships, depth and friendships and relationships. Daily, maybe you don't hang out with all of your friends every day. Maybe you try and do that weekly. Maybe monthly you do different things. Quarterly, I don't know what this looks like for you guys. Counseling and accountability. Counseling is one of those things where I feel like for a long time it was kind of looked at as this bad thing. And it's finally at this place now where people are like, no, it's, that's great. You should be healthy. <laughs> you should talk about life. You should talk about these things. So counseling and accountability. Who, who are the people that pour into you? Your mentors, counselors, etc. So maybe you have a, a text conversation once a week with somebody, but maybe you actually go see a counselor quarterly. Maybe you actually spend time with some mentors on a, a monthly basis. I don't, I don't know. Again, this is for you to figure out professional growth. So work, career, school, things like that, reading workshops, seminars. So this is something that I was given a few years ago, and uh, I used it a lot, um, and then I stopped. And then I got really really tired. Uh, and even leading up to this year and when we launched this church, uh, this is not something that I have used over the last five months since we launched this church because it's been crazy. 
And it's been crazy because I also haven't had this. It's like this cyclical thing. And I keep thinking like, well, I just, like this is such a crazy season. When this season ends, surely it'll slow down. Surely I'll get more time. I'll have more opportunities to rest, to, to be filled. But the reality is that it's not true. We're always going to fill our time with whatever's on fire, whatever the immediate needs are. And so this is something that I plan on going back to, especially this summer as we look at this and this series in life in general. I want to make this available as just an Excel sheet. So if you guys want it, let me know afterwards. You can write it on your Connect card and I'll email it to you, whatever you want. But this is something that's just helpful to think through because when you fill this out, it makes a lot of decisions for you. This is a, a piece of sovereignty. There's a piece of who Jesus is and what he's calling you, the way he's calling you to live your lives. Like Daniel had these decisions based on his faith. But then there's also a, a piece of how you want to manage your time, your energy, your relationships. So I would encourage you guys, it doesn't have to be this, but I would encourage you guys to figure out a system, a set of values personally for you maybe as a couple, for you as a family, uh, identify this. Otherwise, the tyranny of the urgent will always come in first place in your life. So with that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there is a piece of who you are, the way that you show up in the scriptures, like in the story of Daniel, um, that on one hand, this is thousands of years ago, and on the other hand, we can imagine ourselves struggling with similar concepts. Maybe not the exact same things, but the being faced with a choice of, am I just going to do what everybody else around me is doing because that's the, the safest way? Because that seems like, obviously, the, there can't be a better way. Or am I going to choose to live the way that you've called me to live because I believe that that is a better way. It's different. A lot of people would think it's crazy. I think it's crazy sometimes. But believing and trusting that it's a better way. So God, our prayer, my prayer for us as a church, for us as individuals, as we go into this series and as we go into this summer, that we would be intentional with understanding this concept of sovereignty. That first and foremost, knowing who you are and, and what you've called us to do, how you've called us to live and love the people around us. But God, beyond that, that we become intentional with, with our time, with our resources, our, our, our energy, our, our uh, health, finances, all, all these different aspects. So we would become intentional with that. That we would choose the things that are most important first. And that we would be intentional about not becoming drained to a point where we're useless or worthless to the people around us and we are grumpy and, and hot-tempered and all these different things to our family or our friends, but that we could experience this reality of what you've promised us is available is life and life to the full. But so often we allow the thief to kill, steal, and destroy the things that are most important. So God, would you give us the strength to set these priorities, to make you our first priority, and then to look through our lives and prioritize the most important. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple things as we close. Um, one of the things that can be most exhausting is when you carry something alone. 
Uh, I saw Emily. She volunteers in Kid Nation. Uh, she did the same thing I do every time we get back from the grocery store. As a man, you are required to try and carry all of the bags in one trip. Right? Men? Anybody going to back me up? I don't know if women feel the need to do that. But for some reason, I just I, that walk from my car to my apartment is just so long. But it's heavy and painful, and I cut off circulation to my fingers, and it's a miserable experience, and a bag breaks, and, you know, it's a mess. But I still try it. But for you, for me, when we try and carry things alone, it becomes incredibly heavy and painful. We can feel alone. We can feel isolated. And so one of the things that's really important to us, and we wanted to be intentional about moving forward, is having a place where you guys, as individuals, the people that you invite to come with, to church, maybe for the first time, and whenever you need it, there's a place where you know that you're not alone. And so we wanted to set up a, a ministry, a team uh, of people to pray with you uh, if you ever need prayer for anything. And sometimes we feel like, oh, it's like a small thing. But a small thing carried for a long time by yourself can become really uncomfortable. And sometimes there's massive things. And so um, Jess and Sharon, who are in the back, you guys can turn and look at them all together. Hey guys. So they're going to lead our prayer team. And um, we're looking for volunteers, people essentially to just become available. And this doesn't mean that they have all the answers. Uh, this doesn't mean that they'll be able to solve all your problems. But what I know to be true is that God designed us to be able to carry each other's burdens, to be able to share that weight. And they're not here, the prayer team isn't here just to pray for you and give you something that you can't have on your own. They're to pray with you. It's a side-by-side -side mentality. And so that's going to be available today after service. If there's anybody um, that would like prayer, like to pray with somebody, like to be prayed for, they're going to be back there. And our goal, our hope is for that to be available every week after service. Um, and so I just want to make sure that you guys are aware of that because you will grow exhausted from carrying some of these things alone. And so we believe that prayer uh, is a powerful way to as Jesus says, come to me, all you are, who are heavy laden, heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And in prayer, we're able to come with whatever is weighing us down and give it to him. So I want to make sure you guys are aware of that. You don't have to feel awkward if you walk by and don't have a prayer request. You don't have to feel awkward if you beeline it straight to that room with a prayer request. Uh, it's a place for all of us. Uh, so I want to make you guys aware of that. Also, uh, on a different note, I want to make you guys aware that... Uh, our good friend Edwin here, all the way back here. I'll go this way. Did I break it? Uh, I meant to announce this last weekend, but my head was not screwed on right. Edwin is going to be getting married. <laughs> uh, so uh, some of you guys may know uh, he's been dating uh, a fantastic person named Liz uh, over the last few months, and um, I've been able to talk to them a lot about life, and uh, I'm so excited for him uh, that he had the nerve to ask her to marry him and that she was crazy enough to say yes. Uh, and so I'm super excited for them and what that means. And uh, so I just wanted to be able to celebrate that as a family. I think it's important for us to do that. So, uh, yeah. You want to say anything? <laughs> the man of so, wor so many words. Uh, and then lastly, I know we're, we're cutting it close here to quarter after, but uh, I want to 
pray for this morning's offering. Each week we take an offering. Uh, it's an opportunity for us to tithe, to trust God with our finances. Um, and for many of us, it's an opportunity to continue on this journey of generosity, of giving above and beyond our tithes, trusting that we're able to serve the local community in powerful ways. Last week, we had the chance to have Ian here from Trellis, uh, and we're able to start supporting Trellis as a church. That money is coming from beyond our walls because of your generosity, giving above and beyond um, the check-in center. We're going to help fund that, uh, all kinds of different opportunities locally here, so I'm excited for that. I'm excited for you guys to be a part of that, but uh, as the ushers come, I'm going to go ahead and pray for this morning's offering. If you bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this morning, for this time, for us to look practically at what it looks like to find rest, to be recharged, to find the ability to make it another day, um, and practically to, to understand how we can structure our lives so we won't find ourselves dead, tired, drained. God, I pray that you would give us not only the perspective to be able to make those decisions, but the strength to actually stick to those decisions. And God, this morning as we give, as we trust you with our finances, this is one of those ways that, God, that it doesn't make sense on paper for us to give away a percentage of our paycheck every week. Um, but over and over and over again, I have seen in my own life and I've seen other people's lives um, experience more fullness and so, God, I pray that you would help us learn to continue to trust you in every aspect of our lives. Trust the things that you've said, um, and that as we follow you, that we will experience a better life, a more full life of hope and purpose and peace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.